0: Hoop Dreams, the podcast, an Unlearning Network production.
1: With us today, well, we got a special guest, A.G. Yes. Straight out of Chicago. We talk about Chicago, Illinois, a two-time, not one time, a two-time WNBA champ a WNBA finals MVP a 7 time all star 3 time first team selection a all defensive first team pick 2006 was the all rookie team the 2003 Big East rookie of the year and a member of the USA gold medal team at the 2008 Beijing Olympics and oh yeah She got Uh a few Turkish national championships up her sleeve, too. And we ain't done yet. She was voted. My God. She was voted by the fans as one of the top 15 WNBA players of all time. We want to welcome to the show the one, the only, a true Chicago legend, Cappy Poindexter to the Hoop Dreams Podcast. I'm Will Gates. That's my
2: dog. Arthur AG and we want to bless our sister Cappy Pawn Dexter to the show. What's up guys?
1: Cappy, I ain't gonna even lie, but I am Geek. I, I, I know you could tell from my emails I sent you. I'm Geek. Yeah. Now, I do I do got one caveat. Since you and A.G. got that Marshall love, don't y'all dump on me today. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Don't crack me with that Marshall. You know, all that.
2: You see A.G. got on all that maroon and gold today. Hey, man, you know I had the rep for my girl, man. That's our baby sis right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, Yes,
1: Cappy, again, we are so excited to have you on the show. So let's just jump right into this thing. I typically ask... When was the first time that you have seen the movie? But I want to make that my second question for you. My first question for you is, what is Chicago basketball to you?
3: It's a representation of what Hoop Dreams is all about. You know what I mean? Because you think about it like, our city has been plagued with gun violence since the beginning of time. And being able to go out on the court and hoop is the only thing that we really had to really kind of let go from that lifestyle, you know, it was the only thing to have. So when I think about Chicago hoops, I think about, I think about that, you know, we had a city that was played with violence, but on the other hand, we had basketball courts outside that we can go and hoop on, you know what I'm saying? So I I just think about those two things and, and I I think about just how important it, it is to, it has been for the city and for kids that grew up in Chicago to, to, have, to have the courts. You know what I'm saying? Because without, without those courts, there wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be a me. There wouldn't be a lot of other people out there. So that's what I think about Chicago basketball. That's
1: fire. That's fire. Great. And then Let me hit you with the second question. Tell us about the first time, because you know you're a little younger than us. So tell us about the first time you saw Hoop Dreams. Where were you? Were some folks with you?
3: I was in class in school, actually, in Marshall, <laughs> the first time I saw it. I can't remember uh, what class it was in, but we was watching a documentary in class. And, uh, yeah, it was a great documentary. Um, it's, I mean, you can see it's legendary. It's, it's still being played today in in, in uh, high schools yeah. all around the country because it's, it's a legendary documentary. And you two, obviously, being the face of it, it, it just speaks values.
2: You know, we go we go back way back, and when you talk about them playground courts, you know your your whole game was a little different <laughs> when, when it came when, when when you know when you came into Marshall. So we we already know what the movie did for you in terms of you know the legendary program that you played for and the legendary coach that you played for. She just let she just grabbed a pit bull and just let her loose. I mean, I, I tell guys, she used to play with the guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, you would play with play with the guys, and then go downstairs to practice with your team. And I always tell people, I said she had a WNBA tattoo on her in high school. <laughs> if that ain't prophesizing something at an early age, be I mean, it's early stage of WNBA. But she was like, eh, "Put that on me. I'm getting there. Watch."
3: Yeah, I mean, like most people, they they criticize me for getting it at an early age. because Did they? they? didn't understand my vision because they didn't understand my vision. But at the same time, you know, it was it was prophesizing. It's just something that I dreamed about doing all my life,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and to have it on my shoulder was just a remembrance. To no matter like if you have those downtime, those moments where you feel like you mm-hmm. can't make it, it was just it was just my remembrance to me that. Nah, you can make it. You can dream. You can accomplish it. And so that's why I got the tattoo in the first place. Um, and it's it's crazy now that I think about it that I actually did accomplish it. You know <laughs> yeah, what? It's,
1: what? It's, it, it's, um, you lived you lived the hoop dreams without without a doubt. But since we know that you you are this amazing talent, beautiful sister, take us back to the origin story. Take us back to your childhood. Where you was born at in Chicago, what neighborhood you lived in, what was it like growing up? Cappy Poindexter.
3: I was born in Oceanside, California, but I came here. Uh, I came to Chicago early, and I went to elementary school at uh, Chicago West Side Christian School on the west side on Pulaski. And um, I started playing basketball there, really. But it wasn't no team because it wasn't no other Christian schools on the west side that we can compete against. So I started playing on um, Small Fry with Miss Foster. That's how I really got going, is playing small fry with Miss Foster. And then after that, Frederick Eaton um, from the YMCA, Austin YMCA, saw me play. And he recruited me to play. And then that's how I ended up getting a Marshall see seat with Ms. Gators. Wow. Yeah, it, it's crazy. But it all started because I wanted to impress my brother. He was the basketball player. You know, a lot of people know Ron Brown, slow motion.
2: Slow motion, baby.
3: It, it all started with him. I wanted to impress him more than anything. Really? <laughs> Yeah, he had to babysit me, you know, like after school. And so I was always running on his his games on the court. I was always running between in and out of their games. And one of his friends was like, he was kind of frustrated that I was like messing up their game. And so my brother set me on the sideline and they threw me the basketball. And ever since then, I was
2: just trying to impress him and show him that I could play too. That's what's up, hey Cap. T- hold on, let's stop for a second. We got to give Cappy brother Ron slow motion some love. This dude, and I want you to speak on this too, Cappy, because we always talk about you know who put the ball in your hand. How did you fall in love with the game? And for him to be babysitting you <laughs> as his little sister, and you coming, he taking you to his games and stuff. You running on the court, and you want to impress him and all that but your brother was a real ball player. When we talk about real ball players in Chicago, this dude was a real ball player. Did you kind of like take some a bit of his game and, and, with you, and, and put it with yours?
3: Uh, for sure. I studied him a lot. You know, a lot of people don't know. He had scholarships to Michigan, Duke, all that. But it's just unfortunate that mm-hmm. he didn't take it you know he he got has got sidetracked and some other things, but yeah ronald man he was a baller he uh he 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 told me about he showed me michael jordan uh and we studied michael jordan yeah, a lot we we,
2: we see your fade away we we, we <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
1: fade away the up and unders the crossovers the pull back the steps back i mean i'm i mean Cappy game is unlimited, but Cappy, tell us about your your family though. I mean, we just talked a little bit about your brother, but are, you know, mom, dad. Are there any other younger Cappies, older Cappies out there, sisters?
3: Oh, I have a, a auntie. Her name was Cappy as well. We got the same first, wow. middle, and last name. Um, my dad named me after his his uh, older sister. And my dad was in the Marines. And so my mom, he, while he was out in service, my mom took mm. care of me and my brother. I come from a great family, man. My dad, he played, he played baseball and football mm. in the Marines. My mom ran track, but nobody played basketball. It was just me and my brother. We were the first two to actually play wow. basketball. But they, grew up, they all grew up in Chicago as well.
1: So who put that
3: ball in your hand then? My brother, Ron he did. He said, here, just go in the corner. And so I started dribbling, trying to show him that I could mm-hmm. dribble as well. And it just became a, a day a day thing, and I got obsessed with it. And I started to fall in love with the game from there.
1: I got this question for you. Remember the movie Brown Sugar with Taye Diggs, yeah. Sanan Lathan, and they used to always they ask this question. When did you fall in love with hip hop? Mm-hmm. When did you fall in love with the
4: game?
3: I would say ten years old is when I really fell in love with it, cause I was I was hooping with my
4: Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-pa-ba-ba.
3: And that was my first time having a coach. She was she was yelling at me, but I could take it. I could take it. And I was like, I was amped. I was like, okay, this is what I need to get better.
0: Yeah.
3: I like this. Like, I was I was all for it. That's when I, I could say I really fell in love with the game.
2: Big shout out to Miss Lauren Foster, man, another Chicago legend. Probably every kid or grown-up now that you see that have some type of athletic ability or play overseas or do anything, I guarantee you they probably went through Miss Foster's small five program. Because she didn't have the Jerome Randall's, I mean, Summer, everybody. And and they all say the same thing. She coaches and teaches tough love.
0: Mm.
2: Like, she not going to let you settle. She going to be on your ass. She going to make sure you like, yo, I'm just going to be like this every day. So come back tomorrow. And she going to make you uh, not just one dimensional. She always talk about. She said, you're going to be able to shoot, pass, dribble. And the confidence grows from there. Every kid that I've seen a coach.
3: She She's just that coach, man, with that ability to, to get whatever it is that the kid has inside of them. She brings it out of the kids, and she brought it out of me at an early age. So I was competing early, early with her.
1: WNBA legend Cappy Poindexter. Let, let me ask you this. Um, you're an athlete. I mean, you had that walk. You had that talk. Even though yeah. you're soft-spoken, though. I'm like, Cappy soft-spoken, but when she playing – she she like, she's a different beast out there on the floor. What <laughs> what other sports did you play or was basketball your
3: only sport? I did. I ran cross country. Really? I was a cross, cross country really? girl. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yep.
2: Well, that explains your first step. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it wasn't no joke, though. I did it for conditioning. I did it for conditioning for, for basketball season. So, like, I just... But I enjoyed it, though. It was, it was hard competition, but I enjoyed it, and I used it to help me be a better basketball player. Mm.
2: You know, like you said, we talked about the courts, and back in the day, Marsha, I mean, you know, Chicago had a lot of courts, you know what I'm saying, Moore Park, Franklin Park. Where was that court at for you? Where where it was a you know I I it was a it was a it was a safe haven and you felt like I got to go get this therapy I I need to be outside and play against some some dudes and I need to be at this court. What was the court set for you that you used to ball at?
3: I used to ball at B B F and I used to ball at Lathrop Lathrop,
2: Lathrop Park. Park. Yeah, <laughs> right down home.
3: Yeah, those was the two courts that I that I went to the most.
2: And was it some good games out there?
3: Oh yeah, it was a it was a lot of competition, man. You know, I couldn't, I, it, was, it was rarely any girls out there. So the only competition I had was against the fellas.
4: Wow.
1: I was thinking, I said, man, how am I going to ask this question? Because I don't know if you had a player that you had to overcome. Because typically we ask the question, hey, who's that, who's that player that you, you had to beat to know that you arrived? But I look at you as like the standard. I really want to know, who did you say I need to be like? Cause you've come out of the school with some great players. There's a lot of great women basketball players that come out of Chicago high school basketball. So which one of those did you say I need to get to that level too?
3: When I came out of Marshall, I would say Kim Williams. Man, she had that game. Like yep. man, a lot of people don't even know who she is, but Kim Williams' game. Yeah. Kim Williams was old. So
1: do, do you remember she her was nickname? A cold
3: basketball. Nah, what well, cat cat eyes? Well, they used to call her Lady that, Jordan. Man, she played like Jordan. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you, and and that's what we said when we saw you. you. We was like, yeah, Cat Cappy got some Kim Williams in her. Absolutely, absolutely.
3: I definitely watched her, and she was one of Ms. Gator's favorite players too. Um, to to, to uh that she coached, and uh, yeah, she was just one of those players that I really admired her game because she didn't play like a girl. Nope, neither did you. Yeah. I know, you know, growing up on the west side, man, like it wasn't it wasn't a lot of female basketball players around like that in my era. You know what I mean? The only competition we had was against the fellas. Yeah, and so like I had to up my game up to even be on the court. I wanted to be on the court, so I had to make sure that I was playing as tough as I could to b- make sure that I'm able to be on the court with the guys. You had to up your game up, no matter if you was a female or a male. You you had to. You had to play your best basketball.
2: What you think Miss Gators would have did as a coach in the WNBA?
3: I think she would have did the same thing. She just would have been winning. She coached us like a professional team. You know what I mean? Like, that's the way she coached. That was always her approach. It was very professional. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like I was so much ahead of, like, so many people when I went to college because I was coached by a very elite coach. Coach Gators knew the game inside and outside her
1: I got, I got two questions for you, Cappy. The first one is a really quick question. Do you remember your wins and losses in high school? How many wins versus how many losses?
3: No, I don't remember.
1: I want to <laughs> let you know you didn't lose very many.
3: What was our record?
1: Oh, gosh. Your record, I, I think the last time I checked, if Wikipedia is correct, I think you, you all went like 125 in 10. I think you lost a total of 10 games in high school in four years.
3: Wow. <laughs> that's,
1: like, that's like insane. That's like... <laughs> insane. Ten games total. Total. But what I want to do is, every every player, Cappy, has that moment when you just have that game where you just you killed it from the beginning to the end. And at that moment, you knew you was ready for the next level. What was that game for you?
3: It was during a Christmas tournament. A Nike Invitational tournament that they had up at DePaul. And I think I scored like 56 Fifty-eight, something like that. Damn. I was like, and all the co- college coaches was in the building. I was just like, man, it's time for me to pick my school and stop. <laughs> she me. said fifty. Fifty-eight. <laughs> yeah, it was a crazy game. I remember I had my Jordan thirteens on too.
2: Oh. <laughs> Legendary. Well, how was
1: that recruiting process for you? I mean, I mean, at this point, Cappy, you, you big time, you a household name. How did you sit down and begin to filter that process?
3: Well, it was the first time for my family, so that was kind of different for us. But luckily, we had Ms. Gators who had been through the process already, you know what I mean? So she she made the process so much easier for me um, in choosing the school. she She gave me the free choice to pick, you know, and go wherever I wanted to go. She just made sure, you know, she just told me the truth about the system and how— every coach is going to do their best to kind of get you to come to that program. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's what's mm-hmm. going to happen. She was just real about the situation. And ultimately I picked, I picked five great schools. I picked USC. I picked UNLV. I picked uh, Temple. I picked UConn and I picked Rutgers, but I was recruited by every university in, in America. Those were my five schools, but ultimately it was really between Yukon and Rutgers. How many
2: visits you took?
3: I took four visits. I didn't go to Yukon. I went to every other school except for Yukon. And then I chose Rutgers. I was already schooled on what, what to what to think about it because Coach Davis had already put me on game. Right. I was just enjoying the, the process of it all and just to seeing like getting back and seeing seeing how like how they would treat me. If I didn't want to do certain things or if you know, like certain things didn't matter to me. Like I really didn't care about all the extra right curricular activities that they had planned for us.
2: So what pushed it over the edge for Rutgers over Connecticut?
3: Honestly, I would say the the mother factor. Like my mom, single parent mom, basically Coach Stringer, she just reminded me of that mother figure that I needed in my life. I think that's what won me over to Rutgers instead of UConn. And not to say that Gino wasn't a fit for me, you know, because he was my la- he was my second choice. But I just thought that it was a better fit for me at Rutgers with Coach Stringer.
1: That's, that's interesting that you do have two similar coaches and Coach Gators and so Coach Stringer because they, 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 their mannerisms and things are alike too. But my question for you is, and, 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 and this is really for a lot of our are young women that would listen to the show, up and coming young ballers for the show. What what is it like being a woman ball player at Rutgers University? I mean, you are you out there in the big city again. Did did the women get the same type of benefits? You know, uh, did you see any differences when you were in school between the men and women's program? Um, it
3: was just one of them instances where the women program was bigger than the men's program again. The men program was still trying to find its way. The women program had just came off a Final Four appearance um, as I was being recruited, so it was a little different. They was getting a lot of the pub and publicity uh, at Rutgers and nationally. So it was a little bit different. um, But other than that, like, I think both teams were treated equally. You know, Rutgers is just a great all-around... If
0: you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. But At participating McDonald's.
3: ...around school, not just for basketball, but academically. So, yeah. you know, they preached both things. It wasn't just about basketball.
1: Sitting in the heart of the Big East... I mean, you know was the Big East winning the field, <laughs> the Big East, you know.
3: <laughs> I know. That, and it was, it, was, it was fun, too. Big East, was comp- it was competitive every night. And then especially when we had to compete against UConn, you know, we gave them a tough time. We gave them a hard time.
1: Yeah. Now, who, who was on those Connecticut teams when you were playing? Like, who would have been your teammates if you would have went there?
3: Uh, Barbara Turner and I can't think of her last name. It, uh, dang. It's been so long ago, man. You got to excuse me, but I heard Ann Struthers. Those are the two names that I could think offhand. Mm-hmm. Diana had just left. Sue had just left. So he was in the rebuilding stage.
1: I just got to talk about that for a minute because a lot of people don't remember the Big East because they see kind of like now in the Big East, you know, it's all of the private type schools. Connecticut did just recently rejoined again. But um, the Big East really was the birth of you know, that East Coast college basketball rivalry. Um, Talk to us about just your transition going from the Chicago Public League to Big East Division I high major college basketball. What was that transition like for you?
3: My transition was a little different because I was a Prop 48 student, so I didn't get the opportunity to play my first year. I could only practice. In the games I had to make sure I had I had to get my grades in order.
2: What can a kid do and what did you gain experience from sitting out that year?
3: I gained a ton of experience I, I watched so much so much tape with my coach um I got to practice with the girls I didn't get to play so that in itself was mm. an experience in, in itself because it was it was tough on me but at the same time it taught me a lot to really love the game in a whole different way. But at the same time, I, I was able to get my grades in order. I, I ended up getting like a 3.0 GPA. Wow. Where I was able to get my fifth year back. So it, it was it was a valuable experience. Like anybody that's kinda of going through that whole whole situation, just know it is not it's not the end of, of everything. You know, you can come back from it and, and still make it on top. Because I was able to at the same time I was still able to get drafted. I was still able to graduate even though I was not able to play my first year, I still was able to accomplish everything that I had set out to do from the very beginning.
2: You able to, to practice, but not play, right?
3: Yeah. I was able to practice with the team. Um, I couldn't travel with them or I couldn't play in in actual games with them.
1: Every player don't get to experience what March madness is about. I remember my first time I played there and we played against, uh, Oklahoma State when they had Big Country Reeves, but playing in the RCA Dome, sixty thousand fans, and you're just like, I mean, it was it was unreal. What was and you played in a couple of of the tournaments. What was that like
0: for you?
3: It was great. You know, it's like all your hard work throughout the season has finally paid off, and you hear your team, your uh, college name being called during the NCAA, uh, turning, um. And it's just like it's an overwhelming experience, feeling. It's like you feel like you elite, right? Yeah, it's just it's a great experience. Like playing the NCAA tournament was like it was breathtaking because you never knew what was your last game, your last game was gonna be, and so you had to leave it all out there on the court.
1: What was your relationship like? You told us a little bit about your relationship with Coach Gators. What was your relationship with uh, Coach Stringer? because, again, um, legendary coach. But I often wondered, because your style of play, like, I mean, you're a freak of nature. I mean, that's just the reality. Did you think when you got there, it was going to mesh with her style of coaching?
3: I really didn't know, honestly. You know, I was just looking at the team prior to me coming in and the excitement and, and energy that they had. I was just like, you know, I want to play for a program like this. Mm -hmm. And they had so much excitement on the court. And it was led by Natasha Pointer, another Chicago native. Yep. um, Who led that team. And so when I watched her, and who was also another mentor of mine, when I watched her, I was just like, man, Rutgers is the team to beat. Really? (laughs) They wanted the teams to beat. And so I wanted to bring that energy. I wanted to bring that energy to Rutgers. That same type of energy. Wow.
2: It's easy. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up, and use our promo code HoopDreams, and MyBookie will double your first deposit instantly up to one thousand. How's that for fast money?
1: Cappy, uh, before we jump into your WNBA career, AJ and I do a little something we call halftime. We're gonna hit you with some quick hitters. So I'm going to hit you with these right first. Give me your top three
3: toughest college
1: stadiums you played in.
3: Okay. I would say UConn. That's number one. Number two, Notre Dame. Mm. And number three, I would say Tennessee. Oh, wow. All right. All right.
2: You have any game day superstitions or routines? What's your game day meal? And have you seen any crazy ones that you saw other players doing superstitious
3: I've never seen any crazy superstitions that any other players did thank god <laughs> mine mines was simple. I always just took a nap shower and, and uh had a pregame meal that was that was pretty much Did mine. you have the mine same meal simple. every time? I did honestly for the most part i ate I ate grilled salmon, mashed potatoes, and asparagus that was my
2: All the the athletes
1: we talk to, the goats, they all say the same thing. Oh, mine's was simple. I I slept, ate, and got ready. I'm like, okay, that, listen, young people, that is the key. Sleep, eat, and stay ready. That is right there. This can come from either high school, college, or WNBA. Three toughest players you ever had to guard. I ever
3: had to guard. I'm going to say Tamika Kitchens,
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Diana Taurasi. Mm. and uh, Constance Jinx I'm gonna give it to Constance Constance okay.
1: pull that one out
3: All right. it was a tough one in high school yes
2: give me your favorite sneakers to play in three favorite sneakers to wear around too
3: any my three favorite sneakers would probably be like anything anything that Virgil made any Mm -hmm. any Jordan one and any Air Force one
2: what's your best hooping sneaker
3: a Kobe Kobe 5 ooh Mm. That was my favorite. Kobe 5, the Kobe
2: 8.
3: Mm. Oh, the Jordan, the Jordan 13.
2: Jordan 13s, okay. Of course.
3: Of course. Black and white ones. Of course.
1: Of course. I got a two part question for you. First one is your top three favorite rappers from the 90s
3: Biggie, Tupac, and Nas.
1: Oh, she hit that quick like that. Then she AG, boom, boom, boom. Now, if I'm riding down the street with Cappy Poindexter in her whip, what is playing in your car
2: right now?
3: Probably some Summer Walker. <laughs> summer Walker. <laughs> uh,
2: that's, that's a soft-spokenness, Will. That's a soft-spokenness. That's, right. Um,
1: that's right. That's right. That's when she ain't in killer mode. No, I ain't in killer mode I love right now.
3: R&B now. I love All R&B. Right.
1: But then give me your top three favorite R&B artists then. Dang, that's a hard one. Come this on, Soul Train Music Awards was just on.
3: I'm going to go with Usher, man, because he a legend. All right. I'm going to go with Usher as one of them. Oh, uh, y'all putting me on the spot with this. I'm going in Prince.
2: Oh, you can't go wrong with Prince.
1: I thought you was going to say one, but I'm going to see if you going to say it before I before I toss it at you.
3: OK, toss it at me. What you going to say? I thought you was going to say a little Mary J. Oh, yeah. I can do Mary J. <laughs>
2: She looked like she loved Mary J too.
3: I do. <laughs> the 411. <laughs> I was just looking at I was just watching her on the Tamara Hall show. You was just watching her and you didn't remember? It's so many great artists, but I just love R all R and B. Like if you're a great artist and you can and you got a song that that just hit my soul or my heart, I'm I'm listening to you. And there's so many great artists out there. It's kinda hard to pinpoint just one.
2: Cap, Absolutely. what's your favorite overseas city you played in?
3: Istanbul.
2: Really? Could you see yourself living there?
3: I could see myself living there. Are you serious? I'm so serious. It's like New York. Get out of here. It's a city. It looked like that? It looked like it.
1: So, 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 A.G., we just got to ask Cap that because when she gave her answer, did you see that smile? Yes. Can we get the
2: story behind yes. the smile? Yes. Yes. I know she like, I love they shopping.
3: I do. I love the shopping. I played there eight years, and um, oh, wow. it was just a terrific city. They got, they got a lot of water, and it's too sides.
4: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? And a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: ...that separate the city. It's the European side and it's the Asian side. And I stayed on the Asian side most people live on the Asian side and most people just shop and work on the European side and that's where all the that's where the newer the newer Istanbul is that's the part that never sleeps really wow. it stays open to six, seven, eight in the morning really it never sleeps. Wow but it's an amazing 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 city and I could definitely see myself living there I would leave America and go live. Istanbul.
2: Is it is it expensive to live there? Like
3: when I first got there, the dollar was like four to one. Okay, but I'm not sure what it is now. Mm. But before it wasn't that expensive to live there. But now times are changing. The the economy is changing. The dollar is changing. So,
1: boy, if it's still four to one, we all need to move there. I
3: think it's top <laughs> top ten in the economy now, though.
1: It's easy. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up and use our promo code hoopdreams and my bookie will double your first deposit instantly up to a thousand dollars. How's that for fast money? Kathy, thank you for doing halftime with us. We're going to jump into your NBA career. Now here you are, you're getting ready for the NBA draft. And of course, AJ and I we got a lot of questions for you because we want to know the drip you out on that night. But before you get to that question, um, did you know that you were going to be you know one of the top three picks? Were you hearing rumors? Did
3: you know where you might end up going? I was hearing rumors. It was kind of I know if I would have came out in my original class, I would have been number one mm. but became I came out I came out in the class that wasn't my actual class. I wasn't sure where I was gonna go.
0: Mm.
3: so it was like between one and three between me and Simone Augustus, but mm. coming out. You know there was rumors like yo she can go one, she can go two, she can go three. We're not sure where she gonna go, but I ended up coming out number two after Simone Augustus, so I was still I was still happy.
1: Is that important and and I'm asking that because sometimes we all, I hear a lot of athletes say, man i I, I, I achieve my dream, but is it do you
3: do you care where you end up playing? Do you care what number you are drafted at? I didn't care honestly. Mm. I really didn't. It really didn't. It really didn't matter to me. I just wanted to play in the WNBA, and yeah. honestly, I I went to a place that I never expected to go. I went to Phoenix, and I had never been to Phoenix ever before.
1: What was that like when you finally heard your name? What was What was that moment for you?
3: I was nervous. I was very nervous. I was nervous going on that stage, getting my jersey. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <even lie. laughs> The first thing I was thinking about, I don't want to fall in these hills. That's the first thing I was thinking about. Get out of here. <laughs> the second thing is, is like, I don't want to mess up on my interview. But other than that, it was, it was such, it was a great, it was a great moment. I had my family and my friends there.
1: First of all, you could tell by now, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm sure you could tell by now. Uh, but what, what, I, what I love about your pics, your facial expressions are different in all of your pictures. And, and, and I love that because you see a different level of intensity. And, and I often wanted to ask athletes, when you're playing the game, what is it that you're, that you're processing from moment to moment?
3: Well, I mean, for me, it was just always, it was either offense to defense or defense to offense is what I was processing. It was never about the player, the opponent, obviously, you know, they they standing in front of you, but it was just mm-hmm. more so about my team than anything. I cared about what my team needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that was more important to me. I'm trying to win games for the ball club, and and, and the only thing on my mind is, is just doing that. <laughs> you know, especially being a franchise player for most most of my uh, career, you know, it's all about the wins or the losses, you know, and, and the city don't want to see you lose.
2: Did you see
1: how smooth she said that? I'm a franchise player.
2: You know the thing is though, she went to a a city that that loves the women's game too, though.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. Phoenix crowd is one of the best crowds in the WNBA, honestly, and it has been since its inception. Um, yeah, they call themselves, you know, the Six Man, of Mighty Mercury, and honestly, they they show up, they show up, the fans show up, and Tarasi. She did a great job of uh, building that momentum before I got there. Yeah. And when I got there, it was, we just made the crowd even better. Everybody wanted to come see us play.
1: But speaking of Tarasi, she, she sings your praises every time your name is mentioned. But before I ask you a question about her, I just, I just got to go back to here. So you, you picked second overall. You have your media day. Uh, but take us to the moment. When you go into that locker room and you see your name on the back of that WNBA jersey hanging in your locker.
3: Man, it's like a dream come true. You know, all your hard work, everything that you work hard for is right in front of you. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, this is what it's all for right here. And it feels amazing to see that stuff. You know what I mean? And, you know, sometimes you can take it for granted. But, you know, in the beginning, in the end, you know, you kind of remember it, like, the most. You know what I mean? And for me, like, I try to not take anything for granted. I try to not take no moments for granted. But when I see, anytime I see my name on the jersey, I always was very thankful and humbled.
1: What about your teammates? Let's, let's, let's talk about Diana Taurasi. I mean, y'all did some work together. How was it playing with her?
3: It was great playing with Tarasi, man. Was it we, easy to play with another killer like that? It was so easy. We made it easy for each other because we, we respected each other so much and we mm. worked so hard together. You know, like, you could find us before and after practice in the gym. We were the last ones mm. leaving the gym every, every day.
1: I want to tell you what Arthur A.G. now because I do want you to finish that on by Adonis Rossi. But we had another Phoenix Mercury WNBA player on the show. And she said, still to this very day, when you walk into that locker room, you don't see nothing but Cappy Porn Dexter pictures. What does that make you feel like? And this is coming from Sophie Cunningham. She said, even to this very day, they still got so much mad love for you. How does that make you feel knowing that the organization just valued who you were, not only as a player, but a person like?
3: Man, it makes me feel amazing. Honestly, that they, they still show love to me, even though I, I left them you know, I left them early in my career, but the fact that they still show me love and I still show them love, just it was just a mutual respect that we had from each other from the very beginning. But it makes me feel yeah. happy.
2: That lets you know that, like, like they really appreciate it, and still, too, t- to this day, of what, what you came in and laid down and put down in front of them every night, like they respected and loved you that much, to where they they your your face is plastered in a damn locker room still. And you you didn't retire. That's crazy. That's, That's jordan type shit. <laughs> first game. You wake up in the morning.
1: What are your thoughts? Were you nervous? What was driving you that morning? Like, man, this is it. Give us that first day.
3: I was a bit nervous because we was on the road in Sacramento. And I had just... I was in a car accident like months before I had got drafted. And so I had... Um, my cartilage was uh, torn, not torn, but uh, it was damaged a little bit. So I, mm. had, I was really playing on bone on bone, so I was a little bit sore. So I was a bit nervous my first game on how it was gonna mm. I was going to be. I ended up scoring like eight points, but I was so mad after we lost that game.
2: <laughs> really?
3: and it, just <laughs> dro- it, it drove me, and I, I, I think I ended up averaging like 20-some points or something like that from that first game.
2: Was you mad that you where you couldn't perform the way you wanted to perform? Or was you mad because, you know, y'all y'all just played bad and y'all just lost the game?
3: Definitely. Because I, I had put on a great uh, training camp. I had a great training mm. camp. I felt good for the most part. You know, I was having knee problems, but, you know, I was still working through them. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, I was just upset that I couldn't perform the way that I wanted to perform my first game and the fact that we didn't win.
1: I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get this. I'm just trying to process this. You're playing on a damaged knee. You score eight points, you're mad. But the next game you come out, you're killing it, but you're still playing on a, a damaged knee. How did you mentally block the conditions you were in to perform at the high level that you did?
3: I just made sure I was taking care of my body. You know, I was I was in mm. rehab all the time, making sure that I, I, I got the most rehab that I could get before and after every game, before and after every practice. I was just stand stand, stand in the gym, really. As they call it. I was just standing in the gym making sure that I was ready. Because I I would I, I I really wanted to win. I wanted to win at the end of the day. And I didn't really care about what my injury was. My injury was like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like an injury where I couldn't play. I still could still play on it. You know what I mean? It was just, I was in pain. But I enjoyed the game so much that I had to get out there with my teammates.
1: Cappy, you have had so much success career-wise. 2007, 2009 championships at the Phoenix Mercury. Tell us about those seasons and not to mention the fact, you know, your second year in the league, you get the MVP of the finals. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's next level. Yes, that's next level.
3: After my first year we lost, I went to Istanbul and I just really stayed in the gym and I worked really hard. I won a championship in Istanbul. Then I came back and I just had that same mindset coming into uh, my second year, and I really wanted to win the championship, and I believed that we could win it. Um, Me and Tarasi both had the mindset, and we drove our team to win it.
1: But it got to be something special. I mean, the fact, too, you know, in 2009, well, your second year, actually in the league, you get the MVP of the finals. I I always wanted to ask you this, because the mindset, I mean, you're playing with another great um, athlete with Diana, How did you stay the killer that you were? Because oftentimes, and I'm only relating this to the fact that all these years later, now we're hearing, you know, Scottie Pippen like, man, I could have been that dog, but I I, I didn't, you know, for whatever the reason, he didn't feel like he became that dog. How did you stay, you know, that dog playing with another dog alongside you?
3: I think it was a system with Paul Westhead. You know, I think it it allowed us to be flexible, free, mm. and it gave us so much opportunity. We put up, we shot the ball 130 times a game. Sometimes, Ooh. you know, it his philosophy was it was better to shoot than turn the ball over. And so our system was just it just it allowed us to have so much room to be successful.
1: You know, what's so crazy about that, Cappy. I'm going to run some stuff off to you and. This is like one of the craziest runs I have ever heard of. Like, I'm I'm still trying to find a better run than this. Listen to this. Within seven years, you win two WNBA championships, Mm back-to-back, Turkish championships, then an Olympic gold medal, then back-to-back Russian championships and Russian cups, and then another back-to-back championship in Turkey. I mean, truthfully, you don't even know how to lose. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's your run. It's literally, it's, it's the song. All you do is win, win, win. <laughs> Talk to us about how do you sustain the mentality to stay at the top like that?
3: I love basketball so much, you know what I'm saying? And so, like, I dedicated everything that I had to the game. I gave I gave the game everything that I possibly could give it. Every single moment that I had on the court, I never took it for granted. And I always wanted to win. I hate losing so much that, like, even my teammates could tell you, if you go back and have an interview with them, anybody that ever played with me, they'll tell you, oh, Cappy don't like to lose because – I made sure in practice, I gave it everything that I could possibly give in practice. I practiced harder than I did in the games, than I played in Damn. the games. But but it, it just came easy in the game. It just looked like naturally, like I just played, I played hard in the games. You know what I mean? But I practiced so much harder. Yeah. And wow. that's because I respected the game so much more. And I love it so much. You know what I mean? Because like basketball means so much to me. It's like making me almost tear up a little bit. You know, like when I think about it, the game, the game is crazy and I love it so much.
0: Did you
2: hear what she said? She said she loved the game. She put everything she had into it. And when you do that, for the most part, for some of them, the great ones, it, the game will love you back. And have, have loved Cappy back. It's just amazing to see.
1: This is, this is my next question for you, Cappy. And this is really have a lot more to do with the mental health aspect. Cause a lot of women play overseas during the off season to make that extra money to, or to make probably even more money mm-hmm. than the WNBA was playing. Right? What does that do to your body? What does that do to your mental capacity? Because there really is, we always talk about, man, no, man ain't no off season. I mean, women's basketball, that truly is no off season. Talk to us about that and really how you how you handled that process.
3: Oh, well, I mean, you know, mentally, it's a lot to, that you have to deal with. Going overseas, you don't get to spend time with your family, your close friends. You miss holidays. You miss so much. I think that mentally can have an impact on you and, ha- and it has had an impact on so many young ladies that I just try to tell the ladies that, you know, you just got to em- em- embrace the culture that you're amongst because that can help you get through it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Because it's hard going over there for seven to eight months and not being able to see your family or your friends, you know? But at the end of the day, like, you just got to be thankful that you're, you're able to play basketball, that you're able to still have a career, that you're able to still go and make some money. You know what I mean? You got to be thankful for that at the end of the day.
1: Cappy, I, I want to jump into your... You went from the Phoenix Mercury to the New York Liberty. But we got to touch on your experience of coming back home and playing in the Mm shy for the Chicago sky. And and you're playing with Della Dunn. I mean, you go from just dog to dogs to dogs in your career. But how was it coming back home, playing
2: for your home city? And how did it happen?
3: Okay, okay, I'm going to tell you how it happened. I literally had the contract for me to go play for the LA Sparks in my hand. I get a phone call from Patti Chapman and she says, what you think about coming back home to Chicago to play? And I'm like, what? That's kind of crazy. Let me think about it. So I took, I took like a day. I talked to my family and I, and I was just like, you know what? Man, I am getting older in my career. Let me see if I can bring a title home to Chicago. And so I I voided the contract out with the Sparks and then I ended up signing with Chicago. You know, we wasn't able to bring that title home. But me and Deladon, playing, playing with each other was a great experience. She reminded me a lot of playing with Tarasi, And so, mm. you know, I thought we could bring it home. I thought we could bring it home. I really did. But she wasn't happy in Chicago. And so we she, she decided to leave and we just had to mm. pick up the pieces. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, that was a big loss there because y'all were building something something amazing there. Talk to us a little bit about being the transitioning into your career, becoming the vet. You know, you're the veteran on the squad now. You, you, you helping others along and bringing them into the fold, helping them understanding the WNBA game itself. What, what was that like for you?
3: Uh, it, was, it, was, it was cool. It wasn't bad at all. Like I didn't, I didn't look at it as a tough job or as you know, like a as I didn't look at it in in, in a bad way. I was just like, okay, like I could take this on. You know, being a vet on the team, being a, the person everybody look up to to call sometimes when they need advice. I don't mind this role yeah. at all. Um, it was great. You know, I thought that I was a great vet for Chicago. It didn't cause any problems. Uh, I was just making sure that I was focused each and every day. I set the example on and off the court. And, uh, yeah, we just we just missing a few pieces. I'm happy that they brought it home, though, with Candace.
2: Can you imagine, Will, a young player being on that team, two-time champ talking to you, telling you how to prepare? (sighs) And you just sitting there hanging on every word she say, like, you know, you the rook. Listening to this vet talk.
1: Actually, what the what what the Chicago Sky should have did was say, "Hey Cap, we owe you one. Come on back and play these last uh, ten games with us, and come get this ring." That's what they should have <laughs> did.
3: They should have <laughs> put you in, that in the. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Hey,
2: I, hey, I tell you, I, I tell I tell people this all the time, and I love Candace. I love what she did for the city, bringing bringing the chip here. I I love Sylvia Fowles. I love Della Dom, but I tell them the goat of women's basketball in Chicago, the, the, I, I Jordan starts with Cappy P man. That's, it's, (laughs) that's how, that's how much we got love and respect for you. We hold you up over any woman baller in Chicago.
3: That means so much. I just
1: want to transition now. Um, And to the culture of the WNBA, particularly the business aspect of basketball, like what what have you been up to since, you know, you haven't been
3: playing? Oh, man, I've been writing a ton, a lot, a lot. I've been writing a ton. Uh, Just prepping. I got a feature that I'm working on that I wrote during the start of COVID. And it's about my life story, a situation that happened to me uh me and leon smith uh my ex-boyfriend mhm finally ready to talk about it after so many years um i actually wrote i actually uh, it's in development now and oh, feature
0: too.
3: so i've just been writing writing feature film script writing
2: what, what, what did you learn Where did you get that passion from is that something you picked up when you left the left the game or is it something that you always you know it was a passion of yours that you always liked uh
3: I've always been passionate about writing but wow. I was actually I've honestly I was looking for a writer to actually write the feature for me about the story and I couldn't find one that that struck home for me and so I said you know what God is telling me something let me just write it myself and so I ended yeah. up writing it myself and end up you know end up being really really good for my first one and I just been getting a lot of great feedback from it after uh, allowing people to read it. And so I'm just, I'm not shopping it around yet. I'm just still in the developmental stages of getting the script right before I actually started selling Beautiful. it. Beautiful.
2: We would love to hear from you, from your mouth, your truth. You know what I'm saying? We ain't worry about no yeah. Chicago sometimes, what they print and all that bullshit. We getting it from the source.
3: Absolutely. You got a working title yet? It's, it's just called Leon so
1: far. Well, listen, we ain't gonna run down the road on on, on that because I, like a, you know, we told you earlier that uh, you're a legend to us. So we're gonna wait for that story. What I did want to ask you about is uh, again, particularly to the women's game and the culture of women's game, the growth in particular. Do you where do you see the the women's game? now compared to when you were playing
3: oh the visibility i see it has grown so much like there's so much exposure for these young ladies they're getting deals now you see Paige from uconn just signed the gatorade Mm -hmm. and uh i think that's huge for the women's game when i was growing up it wasn't anything like that so i think the visibility that they're 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 getting is is top tier and I think that's probably the biggest
1: thing. And I guess my other question would be is, how do how do you feel like? Ag and I, we we laugh about this all the time, but I think low key, we kind of mad that now you know the the NCAA letting college players get paid. Right? We glad they're getting paid, but we be like, you know what, man, <laughs> hoop trains came out. We could have made a grip, <laughs> <You know>? a <laughs> crazy grip. How do, how do you? I mean, how do you feel about that? Because I'm just saying. Your number was twenty-three. I mean, you were—you—you're the Lady Jordan. Have you ever sat back and said, "Man, the money I could have made"?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if they were
1: doing that when I was playing.
3: But you know, sometimes we got to be the martyr. Sometimes we got to be the person that sacrifices everything for the next generation. I think that's what we were chosen to do. So
0: I'm—I'm—I'm
3: mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy with where I am in life, and uh, mm-hmm. I think—I think at the end of the day. These kids are getting a better future and uh, a better opportunity uh, for themselves and their families. So I'm I'm grateful that I was a pioneer for that.
2: Hey Cap, let me ask you this question, because I I did a thing about I I did a Google search like probably about two weeks ago, and I seen how many WNBA players had their own sneakers, and I always thought to myself, I'm like. I know you rock Nike and all that. I'm like, why they ain't never get Cappy her own sneaker? But then I'm I googled it and, and they give you or they make you play PEs. What is that Player Edition? Yeah,
3: Player Edition sneakers for every game.
2: So do 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 you feel that Nike supposed to have gave you your own sneaker?
3: <laughs> Nike should have gave me my own sneaker, man.
2: You damn right they supposed to gave you your own sneaker. What do you mean?
3: But it's all good. I'll get one eventually.
2: Yeah, man, we need a cat. We need a CP sneaker, man. I'll get one CP
1: twenty three. Oh, it's it's coming. It's coming. How do you feel about? And you talked a little bit about earlier that the exposure is better now. How do you think the WNBA and the women's game as a whole? What's what's
3: next? Wow, the only thing that I can see next is the money. The mm. money. The only thing that I can really see next is. A player making a million dollars and not having to go to Europe and sacrifice so much in Europe and just being able to stay mm-hmm. home. I see that. That's what I foresee because that's what that's what I always dreamed of happening for a, a a player that I I I always wanted to see that accomplishment happen that a player can make a million dollars in the WNBA. So that's what I see happening next.
2: Yeah, big ups to uh, Renee Montgomery and what she's doing, becoming a co-owner of the Atlanta Atlanta Dream and all of that. Talk to us about Cappy's other interests outside of basketball. You you told us your are writing, your your love for writing, and and most people have seen, Where does creative, artistic, fashionista come in from? <laughs>
3: I don't know. I just, I've always just been creative, I guess. <laughs> um, look at Look
2: at how she giving that touch, that, that little shot, that little shot laugh, y'all. You know, she, you know, respect to our boy Virgil Blah, you know, she was real uh, good friends yeah. with this guy. So I, I, we already know he done gave us some, some, some crucial tips and they didn't talk and everything. So tell us about, you know, where that, where that creative side come from and, and talk to us a little about your relationship with Virgil.
3: Man, me and Virgil, we would see each other passing. You know, we had a working relationship through Nike. And so Mm -hmm. I would, I would, I would, it was funny because I I first met Virgil from him DJing a lot of sets. And that's how we initially met. And then, you know, he found out that I was an athlete uh, under Nike and then he got hired by Nike. And so we just always had a working relationship in that sense. But Virgil, man, he's a, he's a super creative dude. The world is going to miss him and his creativeness. But he left a legacy behind that, that, that's going to last forever. Um, and, you know, for me and myself, you know, I'm just a creative as well. And he opened the door for a lot of people like me to enter.
2: I love the way you express your individuality and how you feel in that day through your, through your wardrobe, through how you dress.
3: Thank you.
1: All I know is this, Cap, that um, I know he's talking about creativity. But but you got a little modeling in your system. Is that something you you want to take to the next level?
3: I haven't never thought about it, but you know if it happens, it happens. I never say no to an opportunity. You know what I mean? If it makes sense for my brain, I never say no. But
2: come on, man, we could see Cappy walking at Fashion Week now.
3: <laughs> I never thought about it.
1: Cap got some. Cap got some heaters on her page, and and if you're wondering. What her page is? It is C A P P A twenty three. Yeah, go follow her right now, right now, cause it's 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 fire. It's fire. And why you have to get you some of that Cappy gear? I love it. How
2: did gear come about, Cap?
3: Oh, I partnered um through Will connecting me with this brand called Boosted Partnership, and um basically. I just started working with the designer and I was putting out stuff every month with them, with the designer. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that, you know, it started doing really well.
2: What's the name of it?
3: It's just, it's my name. You can go to my uh, link in my bio and tap in this Cappy Pondexer. Okay. And then you can see what it is up for the month. And this month I have mental health t- uh, t-shirts and gear up for mental health.
1: We had you so, so long today and we thank you for your uh, time. No problem. But my, my dog got... One more question for you. Before we let you go. you got one
2: more question for you. Hit her with an AG. What's next in the Cappy Pond Dexter's hoop dream?
3: Oh man, basically having camps for the kids, I think that's what's next for me in hoop yeah. dream. Just giving giving back to the children. Really? Yeah. Doing a world tour and just giving back to the kids.
2: That is, ladies and gentlemen, a legend giving back. In her next chapter of her Hoop Dream. So look out for the Cappy Pond Dex's Cap World Tour coming Absolutely. to a gym near you.
1: Cappy, I can't tell you how how honored I am personally. And I know A. G is to have you on the show today. I'm just thrilled. I've always been a fan. I'm still a fan. Shed that Chicago blood. It's just it's just so good to see you still out there killing it. Cause you know, again, a lot of the the athletes. You know they kind of just fade, and you stayed, and and you still living that hoop dream. So, thank you for being on the show, man. We love you.
3: I love you too.
2: Thank you for still being an inspiration, even after your playing days and what you're doing now. We we love you, and we appreciate you coming on.
4: I'm the gold of my era. I've been a trending topic. I'm as fly as a feather. My pocket's macroscopic. See, with time, I get better. I'm always in the action, kid. No, I got it locked from Chicago where the Chicago. toughest live. Concrete jungle earned my stripes on the pavement there. You make it here, then you can make it anywhere. No comparison. Your game is embarrassing. No one can touch me. I'm all but going there again. Yeah, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a seal fate more faith think i'm ballin like i'm arthur ag i'm box office in one day they gonna have to pay me yeah i think i'm ballin like i'm will gates i'm hoop dreaming trying to fight against a seal fate more faith think i'm ballin like i'm arthur ag i'm box office in one day they gonna have to pay
0: me hoop dreams the podcast an unlearning network production written and produced by arthur ag will gates matt Hoffer, with audio engineering from matt savage for more episodes check us out at www.unlearningnetwork.com
4: Gotta be a dog to survive in this cold weather Ice in my veins no need for a warm sweater I'm coming for it all that's believe I won't let up yeah Hey I think I'm balling like on Will Gates I'm hoop dreaming trying to fight against a seal fate more faith think i'm ballin' like i'm martha ag i'm box office in one day they gonna have to pay me yeah i think i'm ballin' like i'm will gates i'm hoop dreamin', trying to fight against a seal fate more faith think i'm ballin' like i'm martha ag i'm box office in one day on. they gonna have to pay me